Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, today we're beginning uh, the second half of the book of Daniel. This is uh, chapter seven that we're in today. The first half of Daniel contains six stories. And among those stories are some of the most famous and best loved stories in, in maybe the whole, all of scripture. Uh, last week, David preached to us from the, about Daniel and the lion's den. And we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a few weeks ago in the, in the fiery furnace. We saw a, a, a weird disembodied hand right on the wall, a warning to a king. There's a number of stories that stand out. It's, uh, you may have, if you were, grew up in church, you learned them in Sunday school, you may have heard them. They kinda, they're kind of like headline stories. And now we get into the, the second half of the book, and, and it takes a different turn. The, the first half is six stories, and the second half is four visions. And this is what's called the apocalyptic part of Daniel. And some of you guys, you got really excited when I just said that word. And some of you guys got really nervous, and some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm so glad that you're all here. And I may not make any of you happy this morning, but I think I will, I think the Lord will stir joy in our, in our souls this morning if you come with a, a humble heart. It gets a little wilder here in the second half. It, uh, apocalyptic literature in the Bible is concerned with the, the end of all things or the destiny of the world. It's different from prophecy. So we have prophecy in the Old Testament, and it, it, it's where a, God speaks a message to a prophet. He says, go and tell the people this, and it's usually a direct message, and it's usually fairly clear to the people that he's talking to. Uh, apocalyptic is a totally different thing. It's when someone has a vision or a dream, and they see events happen before them, and it's full of symbols and and numbers, and it's like a veil is pulled back to a world that we don't see. 
It's, it, by its very nature, it's, it's unclear. By its very nature, it is a symbolic. And by its very nature, it's difficult to understand. We're going to see that in this passage as Daniel, who, by the way, was gifted in, see, in uh, interpreting dreams. As Daniel sees the events in his dream and his vision fold out before him, it says that it affects him so much, he, he, it, his face changed color. He was struck with fear. He didn't understand what was going on. He was asking around, hey, is anybody, can anybody interpret what's going on. The purpose of apocalyptic literature is what happens is it pulls back the curtain and it gives us a glimpse into something that is too big for us. It's something that we by nature can't understand. I've shared this story before, uh, but I remember growing up and uh, we we drove uh, at one point this really old uh, um, Chevrolet. And uh, I was in the, it was so old, and this is how old I am, it had a bench seat in the front. And I remember sitting back in the back, and, and I saw mom and dad in, in the front, and I, I knew that they were making the car go. I knew that. But I couldn't understand, I was a little kid, I couldn't understand how they were making it go. I could see, I could figure out enough that when dad or mom turn the wheel one way or the other, the car would go that way, but I can never understand how does the car know whether they want to go forward or reverse? How does the car know whether to go faster or to go slower? I couldn't figure it out. And so I came up with all, as I'm sitting back there in the back seat driving or riding, I came up with all kinds of crazy theories about how this car works. None of them were correct. But that was the limit of my understanding. I could see just enough to know what was happening and know they were doing something, but I didn't understand all the details. And that's what happens when we as human beings get a glimpse as God pulls back the curtain and shows us the destiny of the world. It shows us the, the powers that are behind what has happened and is happening and will happen to the end. These are things that are way too high for us to understand. We had a birthday party for our uh, our daughter turns two years old today. And we had a birthday party for her yesterday. And so we're trying to tell her beforehand, you have a party coming up. She had no understanding of birthdays or parties or people coming over or presents or inflatables. That meant nothing to her. Even while she's in the middle of it, we started singing happy birthday to, us, to her and she looked at us with like shock and fear in her eyes like, what are you guys doing? She understood something was going on. She, the rest of the day, she said, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Eliza. She wanted to sing happy birthday, but she had no idea. I said, still, she has no idea that it's her birthday. She has no idea that she's two. The purpose of a passage like this is to affect us. Not, it's not something for us to figure out. That Daniel saw this great, incredible vision unfold before him of figures and beasts and things that are happening that are too great and too big for him. And he shook with fear and he was undone. And that's how we should react if we really get the picture. You can pull out your chart and say, the horn was this and the second beast was this. And we can talk about those things. We'll talk about some of it today. You can ask me questions afterwards. I'd be glad to talk about it. But here's the point. If God wanted to tell us what the third horn exactly was, he would have told us what the third horn was. But what he wants us to get is the picture, the feeling that Daniel got whenever he stood and he saw the 
curtain of history pulled back and the forces of evil and the force of good going after each other and the power of the ancient of days and the son of man. I want to talk about them, but I'll be skipping ahead. So let's, let's, I'm going to hold myself back. So here's what we're going to do. If you'll come to me with this. Here's how I had to approach the text this past week and a half, and this is how I hope you'll approach with me this morning. Wherever you are this morning, you may have been well-studied in Daniel and you think you know exactly what everything means. Hey, that's fine. This may be all new to you, and that's totally fine as well. You may have already read this passage before, or you read it this week, and you said, hey, that is weird, and I don't understand it, and I don't really want to even talk about this, and that's okay as well. But let's do this. Let's all approach this passage with some humility this morning. And let's say, God, would you help me to be affected the way that Daniel was affected? Would you help me to get what I need to get out of this vision that Daniel got? Would you cause us to experience the awesome events and not reduce them into some sort of intellectual exercise, okay? If I say something that you disagree with about how to look at this passage, how about give me a little bit of uh, slack and let's all approach it humbly and let God work what he wants to work in this room at this moment. Are you guys on, on board with me? All right, let's do that. Let's get going. So if you have your Bible, you can turn them to Daniel chapter 7. And we'll start in verse one. As I mentioned, Daniel was given the ability, we've already seen it earlier in this book, to interpret dreams. And so it makes sense that he would have some of his own, some dreams and visions. And I also think it's interesting along the lines that we're talking about, I already touched on it, but that God, even though Daniel was given the ability to interpret dreams, he interpreted dreams for kings, yet God didn't fully give Daniel the interpretation for this dream. So let's look at Daniel chapter seven, verse one. We're now we're going back in history behind. My glasses are all messed up. We're just gonna, I'm gonna squint my way through this. So we're going back in history. Last week we were at, he was in the lion's den, and he, that was the we're the king before that, or a couple of kings before that. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. In ancient days, the, the sea was a very feared place. In the, in the Middle East where they are here, the Near East, it was a, it was a very feared place. The, the sea was, the, was a uncontrolled, if you're on land, you're safe. You know what's going on. When you're on the sea, you know, if you don't have radar, you don't have uh, a way to tell what the weather is coming, something can happen in, instantly and change everything. It can put you down. The, the sea was incredibly fearful. It was a place of, of, of uh, wonder. It was a place actually in the Near East, actually here, their gods, the, the evil god was the god of the sea. So he's here beside the sea and the four winds of heaven. So it's not just the sea, but the, he this describes these winds are all blowing. And so the sea is tossed and turned. There's huge waves. It is, it's, it's all stirring. It's, all, it's, all, uh, it's not at ease. It is, it is being torn upside down. It's all the waves are going crazy. And four be great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. 
And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, you know, I read this passage before, you see what I mean? This vision is showing us, here's what it is showing us. It's showing us how the hideous, it's showing us the hideous power at work behind glory, human glory seeking. Here's what we think it is. Let's just run through this. And this is my opinion. There's other opinions on this. Uh, but we, I believe that the, uh, the lion is the, uh, the kingdom of Babylon, which Daniel had lived through the end of. The bear who is given, has a, the three uh, ribs in its mouth, it's told arise and eat much flesh. It's the Medo persian empire. The leopard that comes through, a leopard is very fast and strong. And then it's also giving uh, four wings of a bird to fly around. So it's pictures fast and fleeting is the Greek empire. So you think about uh, how fast the Greek empire uh, expanded. And then the fourth beast is Rome, the beast that has, uh, has a, a ter- terrible like iron teeth and talons and it devoured and broke everything that was left into pieces. And, and here's what we see. If you look at those four beasts, these, we know that they are, whatever your interpretation is, they are kings and kingdoms. These four beasts, what do they have in common? One thing, none of them are normal. None of them are what they're supposed to be. They are, are mixtures of things. The things that when you say like, man, it doesn't seem right that a leopard should have wings and not only have wings, but have four wings of a bird. It doesn't seem right. They think they, these animals are mixed. They're not human. They're, they don't, they, they are bestial and they're mixed of those beasts. And, all, and on top of that, all of these are beasts that are cause great damage. They're bloodthirsty by nature. They cause damage. They devour things around them. They, they have great power, just as we know that these kingdoms had great power. And everything they did didn't, wasn't evil, but for all the good that they did, they conquered other people. And many people lost lives. Towns and villages were destroyed. By nature, human power, not just these four kingdoms, but by nature, human power is bloodthirsty. By nature, human power tries to devour the people around so that I can get strong. By nature, human power tries to exert influence and power and authority over other people around me. Some people have crowns in their heads, they do it through armies, and some people do it by manipulation with their wives or husbands or children. But there's this drive within all of us to try to conquer Behind all of human history, what, what Daniel is seen and what he's shown is as the curtain is pulled back and we see human history, we see that behind human history, there's an evil power at work behind all of humanity and all of human history. 
We, we see the nature of evil here. Look at, the, look at these beasts. They are, by nature, they are bloodthirsty, and everything that happens around them is chaotic. They don't appear to be the beasts they should be, and they're causing great damage and destruction around them. And there's a lust for power that's behind all of this. Each of these kings and kingdoms are famous for the lust of power. They wanted to exert their influence. What, what, hey, because enough is never enough. How many billions of dollars do you have to have in your bank account before it's enough money? Well, the answer is less than that. But once you become a thousandaire, you want to become a millionaire. Once you become a millionaire, you want to become a billionaire. Once you become a billionaire, you want to become a multi-billionaire and you want to rule the world. It is by nature within us to want to do it. Enough is never enough. But the Bible tells us the eye of man is never satisfied. By nature, there's something within us that, that's bloodthirsty and, and we cause chaos around us when we lust for power and we reach for glory. We have a, a lust within us for glory. We want somebody to recognize that I am great. I want to make my name great. I want to be remembered. If I have to die, I want to make sure that people remember me and they remember me for being the best or the greatest in whatever field it is. It's what drives us. And the question is like, as we're a part of human beings or part of human society, as a part of history, do we recognize the bloodthirsty appetite of human evil and the powers, the evil powers that are behind them? We see the, the nature of evil, it's bloodthirsty, it's chaotic, it lusts for power, it lusts for glory. But, but also what these beasts show us is it shows us what the source of evil in, human hist in the history of the world is. The source of evil in the history of the world is mankind. We are the source of evil. Everything that is wrong that we see around us, all the intrinsically ways that we know that what is going on around us is not right. This is not the way things should be. Everything within us that sees those things, the, the source of all of those things is mankind itself. We are created good. We are created to reflect God's image. In the garden, we see this beautiful picture of God taking the dust of the earth and he forms it and he says, let's make man or mankind in our image after our likeness. We are made to reflect the image or the glory of God. We have the imago Dei stamped or the image of God stamped within us. We're made to enjoy him and reflect him to creation and reflect creation back to him as we go and we learn and we build cities and, and we build houses and we create and we sing and create songs and poetry and all the things that we do as human beings and creating, uh, setting up our society. We are supposed to take that and reflect that back to God in glory and worship and take the glory of God and imprint that on creation around us as we create in the image of God and we do things. We were made to rule and reign. We were made good and we were made to enjoy God and glorify him to reflect his image to creation. But ever since that first rebellion in the garden, not long really after God had created man, not too long after that, we don't know how long it was, but not too long after that, Satan came in and he tempted Adam and Eve and they fell, they sinned against God and they were rebelling against God. And ever since then, we have all been in utter rebellion against God. The problem with human beings, the source of all evil, is at our core, I hate 
We all as human beings hate that God is God and I am not. That's your problem. Your problem is not that you have a drinking problem or you're lazy or or that your, your wife won't get her stuff together. Your problem is not that your kids are crazy and out of control. Your problem is not that you don't have enough money. Your problem and my problem, the problem of all of humanity is in the core of us. We hate that God is God and we are not. We want to be God. We want to rule and we want to reign. We have been in utter rebellion against God ever since the beginning. And these kings and the kingdoms that we see here, they represent us. They represent all of humanity. It's a distortion of the image of God that he created us to to be under him and to be in sweet submission to him, but yet run with the image of God that he had put upon us and enjoy the world that he had made for us. He even put man and woman in the garden naked and said, it is good. Everything he created was good and holy and awesome. He created us, in fact, he gave us, he said, go and subdue the earth. We had jobs from the beginning but we have distorted the image of God. It's been poisoned by sin from our father Adam, but from each of us individually. And that focus of evil, the source of evil is humankind, but the the focus of evil is ultimately always focused on God and anybody that's on his side. We see that down in verse 23 through 25 of this chapter. It says, thus he said, as for the fourth beast, There shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the 10 horns, out of of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise after them and he shall be different than the former ones and he shall put down three kings. This is the thing, verse 25. He shall speak words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Here's what this is a picture of. It means that for a long line, there are lots of small antichrists. That's within all of us by nature as human beings. But there will be one great antichrist, the man of sin who will arise, and he will utter, go into utter war against God and against all his people. But that war is just the exclamation point upon the war against God and his people that, tra- that goes all the way back to almost the beginning. This is the story of humanity and we are all trapped in it. We're all trapped in it that we are ruled by rulers who are, have this desire, rapacious desire within them, but we're also trapped in it because it's all of our nature. This is the nature of all of us to be in war and rebellion against the most high God. The source of great evil in the world doesn't lie outside of you. It's not the Democrats, it's not the Republicans. The source of evil is not China and it's not Russia. Neither of us is necessarily America. It is within each of us individually. The source of great evil lies within all of us and aren't you aware of it? Think for a moment. I wouldn't ask you to share them. Think for a moment, just between you and me. Think for a moment of the thoughts that you think on any given day. I mean those thoughts. 
the thoughts you would never tell anyone of what you would do if you possibly could with that person or what you wish would happen to that person for what they did to you. If my wife wasn't around, here's what I would do if I was given my freedom. Think of the thoughts that you have. The beast lies within each one of our souls. We are all the beasts. Don't you feel within you the, the, that power at work within you, the, the lust for power and glory? Do you feel that lust for power and glory? We look at these terrible beasts and they look how terrible they are. They're causing destruction and chaos, but doesn't that lie within us as well? Are you jealous of the people around you who achieve success? What do you wish upon people who are around you who achieve success? You know, when you've been out of school long enough and people are around you are starting to succeed and do things and you look over and you say, why them? I was smarter than they are. Why them? I know what they did. Are you jealous of those around you who, who achieve power and success? Do you rejoice when people around you fail and fall? When you, if something within inside you, whenever you hear a friend loses their money and goes bankrupt, doesn't something deep within you say, yes? Because it brings them down. Do you follow every move of the rich and the famous and, and fueled by, like you can't get enough of following them, but yet you feel a great satisfaction when something bad happens to them and as you follow them on social media or whatever, you feel in your side, your soul, a gnawing dissatisfaction that it's not you. The beast is within all of our souls. We are all warring against the Lord. Now these beasts are powerful. These beasts seem invincible. They're so powerful and they're so terrifying that the, it, throughout this, this whole chapter, it keeps telling us that Daniel was afraid. Daniel was disturbed. What is going on? This, these great beasts, who can stand against them? I can't. Daniel knows it so well because he's, he's living in the capital of the first two of those empires. Daniel has sat with kings and council for decades now. He's seen them at their best and he's seen them at their absolute worst. He's seen and heard the destruction that their armies have caused throughout the empire and beyond. They seem incredibly, they are incredibly powerful. They seem invincible and Daniel is disturbed and afraid and we should be as well. We should be afraid and disturbed and overwhelmed by the power of evil in the world. We should feel incredibly disturbed and, and afraid of the power of the, the systems of this world, the kingdoms and the systems of this world that are full of injustice. Aren't there so many problems in our country, in the world, that, that politicians act like it's easy to fix until they get in office and then they can never figure out how to get there, right? 
it's like that cord, it's like that ball of cords. I don't know if you have this. We have this box in our living room that was supposed to be where we put like chargers and things and it ended up being a repository for various cords and blocks and now they are somehow, it's like, it's like somebody came to my house. I bet Dale did this. It's like somebody came to my house and went into that box and knotted them in the most terrible knot you could ever you could ever imagine. I don't know how does that happen. How does it happen in the box? And now I can't figure out how to get that ball of cords untangled. And it's usually once every six months when I figure out I need one of those cords and I need it like right now. And my, I can feel like my, my neck turning red and my head turning red. I can't figure out how to undo it. That's what these problems are like. It seems simple and so we try to get into it. We should feel overwhelmed by them. And maybe more importantly, we should feel overwhelmed and disturbed and afraid of the beasts within each of us as human beings. Do you have perfect control of your mind? Perfect control of your emotions? Perfect control of your body? No. There are times that you even do things that seconds later you think, how could I have even done that? Yet suddenly we see something that somehow as powerful and as seemingly invincible as these beasts are, we see something that somehow eclipses the great power of even these beasts. It eclipses them. That's the right word. It stands in front of them and maybe... To mix, to mix metaphors, it stands in front of them and its light shines brighter and more powerful than the powerful and in seemingly invincible beasts do. Chapter seven, verse nine. This is the part that we, Carolyn read for us at the beginning. As I looked, thrones were placed and somebody shows up. And he's described here in an unusual term. And the ancient of days took his seat. You know why it's called the Ancient of Days? Because no matter how far back in human history these kings and their kingdoms go, no matter how far back humanity goes with our own sin and rebellion, he goes back further before them. He was here before and he will be here after. He is over and outside of it all. The beasts and their power, the beasts in our own, the breasts, our own breasts does not overcome us, does not overcome him. He is the ancient of days. He was here before, he is here now, and he will be here forever and ever. When the beasts and their kingdoms come and they go and they crumble, he will still be here. Whenever you were born before then, he was there, and whenever you die, he will still be there. He is the ancient of days. He is unaffected by any weather, by any time, by any place. He is above all those because he created them. He is the ancient of days, and he comes, and in the midst of all the destruction, in the midst of all the war, in the midst of these beasts clawing and fighting with their chaos and with their bloodthirst, he shows up, and you know what he does? He doesn't put up his his fist, he doesn't pull out his weapon. You know what he does? He sits down. You know why? Because he is not worried. He is not overwhelmed. He is not overcome in any way. It takes no amount of his power or glory to defeat any one of these beasts at any given time. 
All power and glory is in the hands of the ancient of days. He comes and he takes his seat and his clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Our God, the ancient of days, in case you haven't realized who he is yet, he is the God of all creation. He is God the Father. And he shows up and his throne is burning, flaming fire. Why? Because we can't touch fire. Fire consumes, but it does not consume him. It is like as comfortable as a a seat with a cushion on it to him. And its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court, he sits in court, sat in judgment and the books were opened. And here's what happened. God shows up. He shows that he hasn't, been abdi- he hasn't been absent. He has not abdicated his rule. These great and horrible beasts are not beyond his rule and power. They are like beasts, but he is the ancient of days. They are these terrible mixtures of beings that shouldn't go together, but he is the ancient of days with hair like wool and clothing like white. They, the beasts, are voracious in their appetite, but he is seated on his throne. What we see here is true kingship. He is untouchable, the ancient of days. Here is a true king. We see these kings coming and trying to prove themselves as we all have tried to prove ourselves all our lives where the true king shows up. And even though those kings were in all their power, they were only, we see, poor imitators of the true king. You know what we see? They ruled in chaos, but the ancient of days sits down and he rules in tranquility. He rules in peace. They have to try to prove themselves and strive to overcome. He sits down in utter peace and glory. We see that he rules in tranquility. We see that he rules in righteousness. That's the picture of his hair being white. It shows us that he is, guy's not really old, but it shows us that he is like a wise man and his clothing is white to show he is righteous. He is right and just in all that he does. He is pure and he is holy. We need to be affected by that. We tend to think of God as somewhere far off or God's sort of like my buddy. He's here to like, every time I get in trouble, I can come to him. Or if I really feel like I've done something wrong, I can come to him and see if he can throw me some forgiveness. But he is the holy one. He is the ancient of days. He is by himself unapproachable. The Bible tells us in a couple places, says one, he tells us he, appro- he dwells in unapproachable light and another in unapproachable darkness. I don't know how that is, but that is the God of all creation. That is God, the ancient of days. And it shows us that he sits down and his righteous rule as king is shown that he, as he sits in judgment. He takes his, sits down, takes his seat, and he's going to issue judgment. You know what that means? It means that God alone wields true power. God alone wields true power. Jeff Bezos, the president of the United States, whoever you can think of, 
holds no power. What little bit of power you and I think what we hold, we hold no true power. He alone holds true power. The picture of that is the stream of fire issuing from him. God alone wields true authority. You see him sitting on his throne and the myriads around him to serve him. God alone wields true justice. He has ultimate wisdom as the books are open to him. He knows all, he is all, he is all powerful. Even so, even though we see the Ancient of Days show up in all his splendor, yet still we see the beast and the little horn, they keep waging war. But yet something happens still more, verse 11. I looked in because of the sound of the great words of the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, the question is, how did this happen? It doesn't go into it. It doesn't tell us how were they, how was the beast destroyed? How were the other beasts, had the dominion taken away? What, how did that happen? You know how? Someone else shows up on the scene. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You know what happens? Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. Here comes one like the son of man. One like the son of man. The, the picture in the Old Testament, they would talk about the son of man. It was a, a picture of a human being, but, but it's also something else. He says, somebody shows up. He was like a son of man, but yet he wasn't like the son of man. Who was that? Well, it was the one who came. Hundreds of years later, born of a virgin Mary, 100% God, 100% man, incarnate in one. The son of God and the son of man, perfect perfectly presented in one being. The son of God shows up. He looks like a normal human being as someone shows up, but there's something more about them. This is the greatest mystery of this whole passage. It's not the beasts. It's not the horns. It's not the numbers. The greatest mystery that we see in this whole passage is who shows up like the son of man, like a son of man, and is presented before the Ancient of Days, conquering all of the beasts and everybody who is arrayed against God, and is presented with a dominion and a kingdom that is everlasting and knows no end. It's Jesus, who's the new Adam. He's the new, true humanity. He fulfills what we couldn't as humankind. See, all the, the image of God that we were talking about before, that, the, that, we, that was marred by the fall, the kings were trying to, and that all of us have all been trying to voraciously try to grasp back by still remaining king of our own lives. He comes back and he fulfills all that we could not as, in, as human beings. All that Adam could not and all that we couldn't ever since then. You should look in fear upon the Ancient of Days, the Most High who is seated on the fiery throne and fire is coming from him. He is righteous and he is high and he is above all measure. You look on him and you should, we should all have fear. We should. But when the one like the Son of Man shows up, we look in awe and wonder. 
because God could have defeated the, the beast with a flick of his finger. But he did something more. He had pity on all of us who are beasts. He had pity on all of us who are beasts. The son of God also became the son of man. He's a lowly human being. He grew up. He took on the cross the, all of our sin upon himself of all of humanity, poured out upon him the wrath of God, poured out upon him the Son of God, the wrath of the Father. That stream of fire that we see in judgment is directed upon the Son of Man, the Son of God. And the truth is, any of us, every single one of us, we are in the line of fire of that, of that stream of fire or we are standing behind the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. What we see here as the Son of Man shows up and he's presented before the Father, we see Christ's ascension after his resurrection. We see his sacrifices accepted by the Father. We see he is received as king and he is given the nations as his inheritance. We get to celebrate this today in baptism right after the service. It's not just dunking somebody in water and bring them back up. It's saying Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, showed up and he took the wrath of God upon each of those people who will be dunked in that water so that they could be raised to newness of life. Hear how Paul describes what's happening here in Colossians 2, 14 and 15. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. But hear this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He defeated the beast. He defeated sin and death for us. Look at his rule in contrast to the fallen humanity. Their rule is chaotic, destructive, temporary, and limited, but his is glorious and universal and everlasting. In this chapter, what we see is that even though the Son of Man shows up and he has won the victory, the horn, the fourth beast, they keep on fighting. They keep on talking and jabbing. They keep on going after him and his people. But we know that his ultimate victory is assured. The end of his dream shows the battle continues for a while. Antichrist will come at some point and will go after God's people just as everyone has before. But the Son of Man has already won. Exodus 15.3 tells us that the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He has won the victory for us. His kingdom is everlasting, and we know it tells us here is shared with the saints. Verse 26 and 27, but the court shall stand in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, that is the, the fourth beast, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here's the question. Those who are in Christ those who have placed their faith and trust in him, we stand behind the Son of Man 
and we get his kingdom. The question is, what side are you on? What side are you on today? Are you battling, are you fighting for your own kingdom against the most high, or are you standing humbly, but yet gratefully behind the son of man who shows up and who has dominion and authority that is everlasting? Today, if you're a Christian, are you faltering? Do you feel the, the pull towards sin? Is your faith weak? And are you feeling like it could crumble at any given time? Are you wrestling with doubt? Are you wondering if this is all real and true? Here's what you do. Don't go home and try to do better. Don't try to be better. You and I cannot defeat the beast within nor without. Only Jesus Christ wins the victory. Here's all that you have to do. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the one that wins the battles. He is the victor. Call upon him. Look and see his victory on your behalf and wonder there. And we get to do that a couple of times the rest of this, this, this uh, day. We get to do that immediately right after I pray. We're going to open up and have communion at the four corners of this room. And what we do at communion is we celebrate and remember Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, whose body was broken for me and his blood was shed for me so that my sin, my, the beast within me could be destroyed, so the, the wrath of God pointed directly at me could be taken away from me. And then after the service, we get to celebrate and go outside and gather around and see and cheer as we see the picture as people go down in the water and come back up of the amazing miracle of grace that's found in the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come back and lead us in worship as we close out the service. As you feel free, you'll see the different stations open up. If you're a believer in Christ, feel free to come up, and they'll give you the, the cup that has the wafer and the juice in it, and go back to your seat. Feel free to take that as you, as you will. We're going to sing together and uh, worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He's good, isn't he? His grace. We're going to risen, worship the risen king, the ancient of days, the one like the son of man, who has already won the victory. Father, we thank you that that is true. And Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts with the realization that that is true. God, we should be, uh, stand before the Most High, the Almighty, the Ancient of Days with, with fear in our hearts because of the beasts within each of us, the things that we have done. But God, I thank you that the Son of Man shows up and he wins the victory and he gives us his kingdom, and that should overwhelm us. I pray that it would. For your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen.